Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. Uh, we thank you for all you've given us. Lord, you have given us life and breath. Uh, you have preserved us. Lord, we, we think of Lewis, um, who Steve has had an opportunity to talk with a bit off and on. I pray that you would please, uh, and it seems like even in something you mentioned to Steve this last week, that, that he mentioned you, but Lord, it's just questionable. What, what does he know? Who, does he know you, oh Lord God? And we would desire him to know you, uh, even to come fellowship with us. Um, I pray that, uh, that you would br- there would be fruit born in that conversation. Pray for mercy. Pray for those we encounter during the week that we would be mindful and have opportunities to proclaim the truth. We thank you for uh, just those who are away that are uh, with, uh, uh, like Andre and Jasmine. They're, we don't want them to be away, but we're thankful that they are in a good place and getting training and, and Judah too. And just pray that you would bless them and help them finish up strong and come back. Lord God, we, we pray for this morning as we continue to talk about doctrinal statements and what we're doing. Uh, pray that you would be honored in our conversation and our discussion. Um, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay, a couple housekeeping things. Um, so uh, we're still going through the doctrinal statement stuff. A lot of this, what we've been doing, we haven't actually started going through them yet because we're trying to set a framework, right? And once we've got that framework set, uh, we will um, hand out the doctrinal statements. We'll start marching through them paragraph by paragraph. But it's all about setting a framework. Uh, a couple other housekeeping things just for the day. Remember, there's the meeting after church, the voting. Um, so we're voting on a change from June to July in the Constitution for our mid-year meeting and also the field thing. So if you don't know about the field thing and you have questions about that, we can probably bring you up to quickly up to speed uh, between, um, between services if you need that. But uh, the other thing is I still have plenty of these copies of uh, Strange New World by Carl Truman. Again, the reason we're handing this out is it's just a sharp cultural analysis uh, really explains where our culture is at, and if we understand where our culture is at, we're able to proclaim the gospel to them better. Um, so that is why we're giving this out. So I still have many copies. Uh, if you want one, want to finish it in the next three months, you can do that. Um, it's, it's great. So, all right, let's review where we've been at. So uh, the first week, what we really talked about is the biblical warrant for confessions of faith, and what we mean by confession of faith is a summary of key... Uh, uh, a summary of truth, especially key truths that one must believe in order to be a Christian. So you see this throughout time. You see the Nicene Creed. You see the Chalcedonian Creed. You see those sorts of uh, things. Um, and we said, yeah, the Bible gives us warrant for doing those sorts of things. That was the first week. Last week, uh, or um, I shouldn't say last week, May 1st, uh, the, what we talked about is, okay, if confessions of faith are useful, uh, they also have to be enforceable. Meaning, like, if you're supposed to believe these things as a Christian, um, who enforces that? Who holds you accountable? Accountability is another word for that, right? And what we said is that's the, that's the church, uh, and particularly, I mean, there's, a, there's an aspect of the universal church, uh, but especially the local church holding one accountable at two levels. And we said there's two levels of this, uh, which really corresponds to our two doctrinal statements that we're proposing uh, one is the members, and so that's what we talked about last time. We talked about the members' authority. They have the authority, uh, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, to bind and loose, to say, hey, this belief or this practice is binding on you to obey. And if you go astray from that, we're going to hold you accountable uh, because we see these things as foundational, um, either in terms of living or in terms of action uh, for the Christian life. If you go astray, we're going to hold you accountable. How do we hold you accountable? Ultimately, through church discipline, 
uh, which includes removal from communion. That's what excommunication is all about, removal from uh, communion. Now, uh, one of the things we, uh, we ended on, uh, we had some kind of key questions, and we kind of had to rush through this, so I want to kind of just tuck back here for a minute uh, and also um, give us some more tools of thinking um, as we consider these questions. But we asked several of these questions in regard to a member affirmation. What do members have to believe and affirm of a local church? Well, uh, essentially, you could ask this question this way. What does someone have to believe to be affirmed as a member? Right? We asked that question. Uh, here's another question you could ask. How does someone have to live in order to be affirmed as a member? So not only what do you need to believe, uh, but how do you have to live um, as a member? Um, and what we said is, really, we want to draw the line of membership very, very, very close to what it means to be a believer. And you're saying, well, why not exactly what it means to be a believer? And I'll explain that a little bit more in a second. But uh, you also, in terms of practice, how do you have to live? Well, Christ has, uh, has demands for his disciples. So if you are claiming to be a disciple of Christ, uh, the church doesn't make disciples. It, 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 it uses the means of the gospels to proclaim the gospel, but the church can't ultimately make a disciple. Only God can do that. But we know that if someone is a disciple, they're going to live in particular ways. They're going to be obedient to commands, commands like baptism, commands like other things is too, the way they walk. So when they come into the church and we say, okay, uh, how are you living? Um, how do we know how you're living? Is it consistent? Um, that's, that's, that's why we would ask that question, not because how you live is necessary to become a Christian, but if you're a Christian, then you're going to live a particular sort of way. Uh, we also asked a question like this, how much can members differ in doctrinal belief and yet still be members of the same local church? And again, I'm going to give some more tools for that this morning, but in general, you could actually say, uh, well, it depends on the issue, right? Um, if it's a foundational matter, uh, not much or zero. <laughs> uh, if it's something that's non-foundational, then actually we could disagree quite a bit and still be uh, believers in a local church together, fellowshipping together. And then we asked this too as well, which kind of will eventually lead us into talking about the elder um, statement of faith or uh, confession of faith. Should members be content with the basic level of doctrinal knowledge required to be a member? Or another way of putting that, if you become a Christian, you don't know much when you become a Christian. Not usually, right? Uh, you don't know too much in terms of belief, in terms of doctrine. Uh, but you shouldn't want to stay there. Um, you, shouldn't want, you should want to grow. Uh, so that's kind of what that question is getting at. Now, uh, one of the things, and again, we kind of rushed through that. Um, so I wanted to spend just a little bit more time on that. And before we talk about, we talked about member authority, before we talked about elder authority, I did want to bring up uh, this issue of different, different levels of doctrine. Um, so, and this gets, this answers some of our questions in terms of uh, what does someone have to believe to be firmed as a member? It also kind of gets at that question, uh, how much can we differ in terms of doctrinal belief and still fellowship in the same local church, right? And um, Al Mohler has coined a great term to help us think through this. It's called theological triage. Theological triage. You guys know what triage is? Callie does. What's triage, Callie? <laughs> Since you're here. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to treat someone who has a gunshot wound 
to the chest differently when they come into the ER than someone who has a severe cold, right? That's the idea of triage. You're separating people out so that they can be treated appropriately. Does that make sense to everyone, this idea of, of triage? So you're going to sort um, people coming into the ER, and some people have higher priority, some people have less uh, for their medical treatment, okay? Um, in a similar sort of way, you could think of, in terms of doctrines, some are more critical for the Christian life than others. And this is actually biblical. There's biblical support for sorting doctrines like this. Uh, someone turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And maybe some of you already know where I'm going with what passage I'm thinking of, but someone go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Okay, now, where do you see ranking of doctrine in this? There's one particular phrase. First importance, right? First importance is the gospel. That's what he's talking about. So, and you can see that, right, um, in, in Paul's writings. But here we've got it kind of explicit, right? The gospel's of first importance. Now, do you remember Acts 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders and he says, hey, I was with you all in public and from house to house, and what did he say he taught them? I taught you the whole counsel of God, right? I taught you the whole counsel of God. That's more than the gospel, right? So he taught him a lot of stuff, but what did he teach first? What's the first importance, right? The gospel, the gospel. Uh, you can even see this uh, implicitly in um, stuff like Romans 14. So Romans 14 was quoted a lot during the pandemic, right? Uh, where you've got uh, meat, uh, we can eat meat, we can't eat meat, we can observe this day, we can't observe that day. Well, what he's talking about there, there's significant issues, uh, there's even significant doctrinally, but there are issues that shouldn't divide the church, right? That's essentially what he's talking about. So the gospel should be a dividing line, all right? Uh, he says in Galatians 1, if anyone doesn't hold the gospel, uh, he let him be accursed. Well, that's as strong as you can make it, right? Uh, versus something that's going on in Romans 14, which is of lesser importance to where the church can still fellowship over it. So this idea of ranking different doctrines is biblical. Um, now the question is, well, how do you rank them? How do you do the triage, right? Like, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, and different theologians, Al Mohler's one of them, uh, a couple other guys have been reading have been talking about this. But So there's a couple different ways you can do it, so I'm going to just just kind of pre present you some ideas um, of how this looks. Uh, but think of this in terms of a bullseye, right? So if the center is the gospel, and then you've got that next ring, level two, so level one is the gospel, next ring, level two, next ring, level three, maybe we'll even go to level four, okay? Uh, Muller has three of these rings, others people have more, uh, because it's just a way to try to help us sort things out. Here's one way of trying to splice it. Uh, this guy, uh, Gavin Ortland, in this book, uh, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, which is a decent book. Um, there's some things I disagreed with in it, uh, as with any book. But uh, he had a kind of a helpful ranking system. He said this, first-ranked doctrines are essential to the gospel itself. I mean, that's what Paul's saying, right? 
So it's not only the gospel, but it's things that the gospel needs. Like, you need to believe the right God, right? Uh, you could sound the same, like uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, to an extent they sound the same, and yet you believe in a totally different God. Um, so some of the attributes of God would fall into that, etc. So things that are essential to the gospel itself. Uh, Second-ranked doctrines would be things that are urgent for the health and practice of the church, such that they frequently cause Christians to separate at the level of the local church denomination and or ministry. So uh, just because something's secondary to the gospel doesn't mean it's unimportant. Sometimes we think that way, right? Well, if it's not the gospel, it's unimportant. No, that's not actually true. Um, things that are not the gospel can, they're still related to the gospel in some way, and they're related to other things, and they're still important. So even um, they'll divide Christians, and historically have divided Christians. They're true Christians, and yet they're divided. Case in point, Pado-Baptist versus um, Credo-Baptist. I mean, both sides historically agree, yeah, we're going to divide over that. They might even affirm uh, each other as believers. So you think of John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. They debated over Pado-Baptism and Credo-Baptism. They loved each other. They debated in a friendly way. They knew they were believers, and yet R.C. Sproul, according to Grace Community Church's membership standards, couldn't be a member at John MacArthur's church. Um, so... Um, they, uh, they affirm those beliefs, that belief about baptism is enough to divide denominationally or if you're not part of a denomination, just think in terms of separating local church. They still affirm each other as believers, but they're still separating at the level of a local church. That would be second tier kind of stuff. Third rank doctrines are important to Christian theology, but not enough to justify separation or division among Christians. So this might be kind of Roman 14 kind of stuff. Uh, so the views of the gifts, uh, views, Arminianism versus Calvinism. Um, I would probably tuck that in a third rank sort of doctrine. Fourth rank stuff is, uh, stuff that's just unimportant to our gospel witness and ministry collaboration. For example, um, people might debate about God's relationship to time. Is he in time? Is he outside of time? That's an intramural debate, but regardless of what you believe on that, that shouldn't change <laughs> anything as far as your, your work and the church together. So uh, that's one way of splicing it out. Again, that's from Gavin Ortland. Another guy I was reading, he's uh, written this book. It's a more technical book, When Doctrine Divides the People of God. The guy's name is Rinne, R-H-Y-N-E, Putman, P-U-T-M-A-N. P -U -T -M -A -N. He kind of asked three diagnostic questions um, to help us sort through kind of these tiers to do triage. How clear is it in Scripture? Is it explicitly stated? Uh, like, uh, go therefore and make disciples? Um, or is it implicit, like the doctrine of the Trinity? The doctrine of the Trinity is not explicit in Scripture, but it is a necessary consequence of statements made by Scripture, right? Uh, so how clear is the doctrine? Um, how central to the gospel? Here's an, another question you could ask. How central to the gospel is it, right? Gospel's first important. Something might not be the gospel, but it, should, it might be close to the gospel or an implication of the gospel. <clears throat> so that's another question to ask. How central <coughs> to the gospel is it? Sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so. Um, here's a third question you could answer or that he asked to help us sort through some of these things. 
How important is the practice? Some practices we have are more important than others. Uh, uh, Some some display things more than others. Uh, The ordinances, they display the gospel, right? So they're not the gospel, but they're really close. Um, So how important is it that we practice those things in a particular way? Or other things as well, right? Um, How do we practice eldership? How do we practice deaconship? Um, Those sorts of things. So those are three questions you could kind of ask. All of that to say, right, um, it's not, um, there's a ranking of doctrines. Some doctrines are more important than others, right? So the question is, when are you going to divide from others that you believe are Christians? Uh, and not just as an individual level, but at a corporate level. There's different things that we do as individual Christians that, that are different when we ramp it up to an institutional church level. Um, there's different things that happen. There's also different kinds of unity. We talk about wanting unity, and that's true, but there's different kinds of unity even. There's a formal unity that we have with people, and then there's a kind of an organic or even spiritual unity we have with people. So I can have spiritual unity with a pedo-baptist brother or sister in Christ who holds the true gospel, but it doesn't mean I necessarily have a formal unity with them as an institutional church, right? So these are, there's, there's nuance to all of these things. Uh, and there's ranking and doctrine. So that might help you as we think about the, the, the membership statement of faith versus the elder day statement of faith. Some things are more important than others, right? And especially for membership, we want to keep the most, we, wanna, we want that loop as wide as we can make it, right? Because we would love uh, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who are following um, uh, Jesus, who are walking in accord with key commands, we want them here. We want to be a part of them. We want to partner with them together with ministry, right? This isn't just a club. This is we're partnering together in the joint venture of the gospel. That's how Philippians puts it. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, that's why we need to think about, well, what's, what's important for what? That's why when we print off these doctrinal statements, or maybe you've looked at them, uh, we've sent them out a couple times via email, the member statement is way looser than the elder statement because uh, I can be a member in the same church with someone who uh, believes in the continuation of the gifts. I believe in the cessation of the gifts, but I can still be a member together with someone like that, or even someone who disagrees on the role of men and women in the church. I'm a complementarian. I believe that there are different roles for men and women in the church and in the household, but I believe if someone holds the true gospel, I could still uh, have fellowship, of even a formal fellowship, in the same church with someone who doesn't because of where I rank things in my doctrinal triage, right? So uh, complementarianism, cessationism, even Arminian versus Calvinism, I would rank those things in third tier um, versus something like baptism I'm putting in second tier, right? It's not the gospel, but it's close, um, close gospel. So hopefully some of that gives you a framework of how we're thinking through these things. Now let me pause there. Oh, one other thing. Why do we differ with regards to doctrine, right? Is this infallible? This is absolutely infallible in the original documents, right? And it is designed by God to uh, give us um, instruction in, in what we're, how we are to live, right? So this is infallible. Am I infallible? No. Are you infallible? No. So when you've got an infallible document um, interpreted, which we must do, which God would demand of us, right? Um, by fallible beings, that's why we disagree on doctrine right? It's not because the scripture is in error. It's because we read differently for a variety of different reasons. 
Um, it's not doesn't mean that one interpretation is as equally valid as another. No, there's one right interpretation, but uh, we have to wrestle with the scriptures, and there's a variety of reasons in terms of background and in terms of a, a number of different things of uh, the people we're around, our backgrounds, our biases, all of this sort of stuff that that affects when we interpret the scriptures, right? And so we need to be aware of that uh, and be charitable uh, when we when we disagree with one another. So, um, okay, let me pause. Questions up to that point. Questions on that concept, because I think that was an important concept we haven't talked about before, so I wanted to bring that up, of the idea of doctrinal or theological triage, and that there's different levels of doctrine and which are important or not. And this has historically been done in Christianity, so... Questions, comments, concerns, conundrums, cries of outrage, screams of panic? That's why we're always re-examining ourselves, right? And why we always, it's kind of funny, like sometimes when you read the scriptures, like suppose you're just doing a reading plan through the year like we're doing right now as a church. And I come to a passage and I kind of read it quickly and I have a basic concept of what that passage is about, right? Maybe I come back to that passage later and like I have to do a deep dive on it, right? Like so I'm preaching on it or, or doing a Bible study on it or whatever. And then it's like, oh, what I initially thought that passage was about, like I was close but actually now I'm closer in understanding of it, right? And that's just who we are as interpreters. Because we're infallible, we don't just throw up our hands and say, well, I guess I can't get it. No, what we do is we actually strive harder. We strive harder to understand what is in the text. We try to acknowledge, okay, here's my bias this way or, um, or, or, or that way, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really important to have that kind of um, category of theological triage um, in your mind, differing levels of doctrine of importance. Yeah, Eden. Yes. Yeah. Right. And why you also, like in a Bible study environment, sometimes they devolve into, well, I think it means this, or this is what it means to me, right? And that can devolve into unhealthiness. Uh, which is why the Bible gives us teachers, right? And um, at a Bible study level, uh, at a church level, um, why, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's sitting there in his chariot and he's reading and he's, um, you know, he's not saved at that point, but he's like inquiring. And, uh, and then what? Um, Philip comes along and it's like, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how can I unless someone helps me, right? That's what teachers do, those who have had more time, skill, um, training, whatever it is, um, to guide us. So like in a Bible study environment, I've had this happen at another church, right? Like someone says something that's way off in left field. It has like, okay, no, that's not what the passage is saying, right? And you have to kind of have uh, gently say, no, that's not right. <laughs> uh, because it's not about me. It's about what do the scriptures say? And we need to understand what the scriptures say, right? So that's kind of another you know, it's helpful. We, we, we interpret together 
in community. We talk with one another. We sharpen one another. And we also have teachers to help us in that regard as well. So. Oh, yeah, just working through those, yeah. Right, Galatians, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, like, that's a good example in Galatians where you see, okay, you got two apostles, and um, apostles apostles aren't infallible unless, uh, to use a, unless they're speaking in terms of their office, right? So when they're being, they're essentially writing scripture, they're infallible, right? But they're not always infallible when, like, when they're writing their grocery lists or whatever, Um but, uh, but then you see, right, Peter's slipping back into some old ways that diminish the gospel, and um, Paul's, Paul calls him out for it. It's like, hey, 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 this doesn't match the gospel. And so we reexamine these things, and we examine and we examine because we, uh, again, the gospel is of first importance. So, okay, uh, any other questions on that idea? Really important concept. All right, so now... We said, okay, for confessions of faith to be useful, they need to be enforceable. That's at a member level, which is why we have, why we're introducing a new member level that's looser than the one in the past, uh, because we want that line to be basically the level one and level two stuff. If you were to put it in those terms, level one and level two stuff, Um, because uh, we want to fellowship with other Christians, even Christians that disagree with us on even important doctrinal matters. Uh, but only to a certain point, right? Uh, and so we're going to, as a local church, say, all right, members, you're accountable to believing these things. Now, there's another level, right? It's enforceable at two levels. The second level is elder. Elder. So we talk a member authority. The, the whole congregation has an authority. The members have a collective authority together. And then there's an elder level authority. Now, let me prove this to you from the scriptures. So, uh, Acts. Turn to Acts 20. We're going to go through several passages. Um, Acts 20, so Ephesian elders, right? One of those key passages on t- talking about elders. So Acts 20, um, fifth, excuse, excuse me, Acts 20, 25 uh, through 32. Someone's there, go ahead and jump in and read. Acts 20, 25 through 32.
All right. What do you see in particular about the role of, about elders in that section? What's that? Elders. Yeah, protection, right? They're to protect the flock. Uh, against what? Yeah, against false teaching, right? Wolves that can arise from without or from within, right? Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a guarding aspect, okay? Who appointed the elders? Yep, the Holy Spirit appoints overseers, and that's a sobering thing, and especially it's even more sobering, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, or the blood of his own. Um, so here you've got to protect the flock. Why? Well, it's very, very, very precious to God. And he's talking to the Ephesian elders, right? So the elders of a local church saying, that local church in Ephesus was purchased by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit appointed you to this task to guard these people, right? That's sobering. That's one of the most sobering verses. I think it's probably the most sobering verses to me as an elder, right? Like to read that, like, okay, uh, the Holy Spirit put me here to guard Faith Bible Church. That's my role, uh, or one of my roles, right? Uh, to guard um, against false teaching, to protect. Um, now, that's just one aspect, right? That's just one aspect. Uh, but even this aspect of care, right? You see that, right? Of elders are supposed to care, care for the body, uh, care for uh, the flock. So any other comments from Acts 20? I've got more passages to go to, but anything else from Acts 20? Okay, Titus 1. Titus 1, 5 through 9. These are some, some of these passages I'm bringing to you are kind of like, these are the collection of elder texts. Um, and uh, that we see in the scriptures, uh, good key foundational ones to keep coming back to, not just for elders, but for the whole body, right? Because not both sides need to understand what the role is. So um, Titus <coughs> 1, 5 through 9. So I'm going to go ahead and read Titus 1, 5 through 9. Okay, so there's a lot in here that we could talk about, but um, what are the qualifications for elders? Broad scope. What are a lot of these things talking about? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, right? So you're proclaiming something, you better be walking in that. Are these things like extraordinary character qualities or ordinary character qualities? Good point. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so these are like ordinary, like Christians should be doing this kind of qualities, but the elders are exemplary or should be exemplary in doing those qualities. Does that make sense? So everyone is called to this, right? But um, 
the elders are to be exemplary in doing it. Um, now, what, in terms of function, right, uh, in terms of function, what, or in terms of, like, what we're talking about with doctrine, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, hold fast to what? Hold fast to the word as taught, yeah. So that what? Yeah, it's oversight, so that's this term overseer. There's oversight here, but verse 9 is what we're focusing in on. Give instruction and sound doctrine, or healthy, that's the word for healthy, healthy doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it, right? So we're, uh, elders are to instruct and to rebuke those who contradict. So right there you see, okay, there's, we even kind of saw it in Acts, right? There's, there's, there's the teaching, there's the care, there's also the guarding, right? And here you see it again, right? You're, you're teaching sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. They're responsible for healthy doctrine and teaching healthy doctrine and also those who are contradicting healthy doctrine to rebuke them. Uh, rebuke is a strong word. Uh, it's, it's calling someone out and saying, nope, uh, you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. And what you're teaching or speaking is, is wrong. We don't like conflict, do we, right? Um, but sometimes conflict biblically is necessary. Um, to, to deal with those sorts of things. It's not like you crave conflict. That's a problem. If you crave conflict, that's a problem. Um, but uh, if you, when it comes, you need to do it, um, then it happens. The elders need to be ready to do that. So, Okay, any other kind of comments from Titus 1? Again, I'm just trying to show you from the scriptures uh, the different, uh, just the, what are the elders supposed to do in regard to doctrine? So, Okay, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, familiar passage. Maybe you guys... Um, already know what I'm... Uh, what we're going here for, but... Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Through 16. Right. So, what are the elders? So, where are the elders in this passage? Where do they show up? Yeah, equipping the saints, because they're the shepherd and teachers, right? They're the kind of the end of that list, the shepherds and teachers. I take those to be a description of elders and uh, elder pastors, um, elders and pastors and overseers. They're, they're all interchangeable terms in the New Testament. Um, to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I'm not the minister. You guys are the ministers. Um, we're all doing the work of ministry. Um, to build up the body of Christ, um, so that what we grow into Christ. The purpose is not to just have our eyes, our doctrinal eyes dotted and T's crossed, 
but so that we grow in maturity in Christ, so that we love Christ more, and so that we are not carried away by every wind of doctrine or wind of teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. I think you guys know that, right? Doctrine just means, just means teaching, and so what, um, the, the equipping is supposed to be that people aren't just carried away, blown here, hither and thither by, um, by winds of doctrine, right? Uh, which answers that one of the questions we had, should we be content as Christians with the bare minimum doctrinal knowledge to be saved? No, because the New Testament says you should be growing in your knowledge of God, not for the purpose of knowledge. Ultimately, knowledge isn't bad. Uh, it can puff up if you use it wrongly, but the knowledge is supposed to be for love, loving God, loving Christ, loving others, and helping them grow, right? Um, that's, that's how elders are supposed to function, okay? That's our role. That's why we have this time. That's what happens on Sunday morning. That's why we have Bible studies even, um, th- those sorts of things. They're for equipping. Okay, um, one last one, Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, two verses in Hebrews 13. So Hebrews is all about perseverance. Um, keep persevering, don't, don't abandon Christ. Um, and by the end, you get to Hebrews 13, which is kind of practical instruction, but it's all based on all the stuff he said before. But there's a couple key statements um, about leadership uh, in the local church. So Hebrews 13, 7, and then also 17. So someone read verse 7. Okay, and then someone else, verse 17. Yeah, so there you see both example, right? The elders would be exemplary again. But then you also see this idea of they have to give an account, right? Which is, again, a sobering thing, right? Um, if the Holy Spirit placed me at, for Faith Bible Church to uh, oversee, be one of, right now, three, uh, when Andre gets back, Lord willing, four overseers uh, of the local church, right? We're all four of us, or three of us, going to have to give an account of how we did that overseeing work, right? So you can see there the accountability directly to God for these things. So if you think in terms of, again, why are we, why are we doing that? Because it shows, we show, it shows there's two levels of authority in the local church. There's a whole member authority to do things like bind and loose to say, hey, your brother, you're not walking in the way you ought to walk. Come back. Um, or to put it positively, to help one another to grow, to hold one another accountable to following Christ. The whole, all the members are supposed to do that. All the members have that authority uh, to bind and loose, to say this is binding on you in terms of belief or in terms of practice. But then the elders have a different authority. They're held, the, the members are held directly accountable to Christ for that, aren't they? Right? So the whole membership, the whole church, is going to be held accountable to Christ for how they practice what they're supposed to do. Right? The elders are also directly accountable to Christ for other things. Um, they are held accountable to Christ for what? Teaching, leading, caring, guarding, overseeing, exemplifying. 
Uh, these are the things we will be held accountable for. Uh, this is a servant leadership. Elder authority is a servant leadership given directly by Christ, appointed by the Holy Spirit, as we saw in Acts 20. Uh, we must be able to teach and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. We must have character that matches our profession. Um, members ought to submit to the elders, right? That's one of the things they're going to be held accountable for. Um, but you see this, uh, the, the level of doctrine required for an elder is much higher than for that of a, um, a member because we have to teach, uh, teach you to a level. You can think about it like this. The elders are the teachers, right? So they want to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. They're going to equip them in doctrine. So maybe you're a baby Christian. You just start out. They come into a local church. They become a member. And the elders are here and say, great, we're welcoming you as a member at this level, but we're going to teach you to this level, right? We're going to teach you to this level. So you may come in as an Arminian. I'm going to teach you Calvinism. You may come in as an egalitarian. I'm going to teach you complementarianism. You're going to come in as, um, you know, what? you can think of multiple examples, right? But why? Be, um, because we're going to teach you to a higher level. And you should, as a Christian, steadily grow in that direction, because that's what elders are called to do, right? So the doctrinal level is way tighter for elders than it is for members. Um, I mean, that's why uh, we went through all of this stuff. Um, or to put it another way, who appoints elders? This is kind of a trick question. There's multiple answers to this. Who appoints elders? Holy Spirit, so that's from a divine perspective. The Holy Spirit appoints elders. So, uh, the Holy Spirit evidently appointed me to Faith Bible Church. How did that happen? Good, by means of the other elders, including elders from Faith Bible Church Spokane, who ordained me to ministry, and men and elders here who also ordained me to ministry, right? Uh, June, what was it, June 6th last year or June 4th? I can't remember. Um, but in any case, that process, right, looks very human, but we, we believe through prayer and dependence the Holy Spirit was working through that, okay? So members appoint other, or excuse me, elders appoint other elders. Um, so we need to make sure, all right, if you're going to be an elder, are you going to hold this healthy doctrine and rebuke to those who contradict, right? We're going to hold you to this standard, even though as a member you're, you're held to this standard initially, you should be growing to, to this standard. We're going to hold you, if you want to be an elder, we're going to hold you to this standard, okay? Um, let's summarize. In summary, members have authority to bind and loose, and that has teeth behind it. Uh, you could call that authority of coercion. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that there's some teeth behind it. Uh, the, the teeth is discipline in the Lord's Supper, Right? That's what the members have authority to do uh, as a whole church, to say, you're not walking the way you should be walking. You're claiming to be a disciple, but you're not walking that way. We are removing our affirmation of discipleship from you. We're going to remove you from the table. Or in a positive way, yes, you repented. We are thankful. Um, walk in the way you ought to walk, right? Um, that's, the members have that authority, authority of coercion or I don't know. I don't have a better word than that. It's not like a negative word uh, is what I'm saying. There's teeth behind it. Elders have authority in teaching, rebuking, and leading or authority of counsel. I cannot excommunicate anyone. I have no authority to excommunicate anyone. 
I can bring a charge against someone else, but ultimately it's the members that have to say, yeah, okay, this person's walking astray. We, we got to remove them from the table, right? I can teach and I can say, I think we ought to do this and I think we ought to do that. Um, you, you, could, you could disobey me. You could, diso- you could disagree with me, right? Uh, and I really, at that point, right, it's um, left up to Christ, like, I'm discharging my authority to teach, uh, and I can't, I can't coerce you in any sort of way, right? Um, I want you to be convinced from the authority of the scriptures. Um, so if you were to boil it down, members have authority of coercion, although I don't like that word a ton, but through discipline in the Lord's Supper, mem- uh, elders have authority of counsel, right? That's what we do. We have authority to teach, rebuke, those sorts of things. Each submit, the members submit to, uh, directly to Christ for one thing, for one task. The elders submit to Christ for a different task. And that, in a nutshell, is why we propose two doctrinal statements, right? We want the member statement as loose as it can be uh, while still holding the, some key foundational things. And we want the elder statement as tight as it should be in terms of teaching. So the elder doct- doctrinal statement is 13 pages and the member doctrinal statement is four, right? And you're going to see, if you read both of those, it's way more specific. Uh, member doctrinal statement doesn't, doesn't talk about Calvinism or predestination or any of that stuff. Um, elder statement does. doesn't talk about complementarianism directly um, or cessationism in the member statement. Elder statement does, right? Because we are going to teach you in that direction. Or put it another way, like if someone comes in as a member, I'm going to teach you, here are the things you must submit to in the member doctrinal statement. But I'm also going to show them the elder statement, not because they have to agree to it, but because, all right, just so you're aware, if you come in as a member, you're coming in at this level, here's how I'm going to teach you, though. So just be aware that this is how I'm going to teach you. I'm, you may be an Arminian, I'm going to teach you Calvinism. You may be an egalitarian, I'm going to teach you complementarianism. So just be aware, if you're going to stick around here, that might be an irritant to you if you, you stick around, right? Um, but hopefully they're open and saying, yeah, I'm open to seeing what the scriptures say because that is where we're, we want to drive people back, not based on what I say, but what on the scriptures say. Um, okay, uh, let's, we're out of time for this morning. Um, I think. Okay, let me do just one thing really quickly. Someone might ask, what's wrong with our current doctrinal statement? Essentially, nothing wrong in terms of content. The content's good. The, uh, it's too narrow to require of members. So it's got premillennial eschatology in there, which I believe, no problems. But to require a member to subscribe to that to become a member, I think is wrong and drawing a line where we can't. So that's why we're reorganizing it. You can kind of think of we're taking the content and reorganizing it in a different way. So we're, that's, that's, that's what we did this. There are also some things the elders didn't think it articulated as well as it could be desired. So that's why we revised it. What process did we use to go through this? Uh, we did this when Andre was still here as well. We basically took doctrinal statements from uh, churches we respected. So Grace Community Church, MacArthur and Company, Faith Bible Church Spokane. That's, um, that's where I came from. Bethlehem Baptist Church, that's Piper and Company. Uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, that's Dever and Company. So we just kind of looked at these, compared and contrast. 
Uh, for the member statement, we wanted it as concise and pithy as possible. Um, and then uh, what we did is we chose the Grace Community Church statement as our elder statement with some modifications. So there are modifications to that. Uh, we basically, we kind of chose the Bethlehem Baptist member statement as a framework for our member statement and then modified as necessary for our alignment, though not, uh, alignment doesn't mean they equal each other. It just means that they're, in a, they're one's at a higher level than another, but there's alignment with the elder statement. There's similar language. That's the way you could put it. There's similar language. We went through a couple drafts of our new statements. Uh, we read them together, um, and uh, that's what we've proposed to you. Um, you might ask the question, well, what about statements like things like substance abuse, marriage and divorce and abortion? You will notice in the new member statement, those things aren't in there, although they're in our current one. Why is that? Well, it's not because we don't believe those things, right? Uh, we do have a stance on substance abuse. We do have a stance on marriage and divorce. We do have a stance on abortion. Uh, these are important issues. We must and we do have a position on them. Uh, think in terms of timeless truths versus cultural moments. So the timeless truths is what you want in your doctrinal statement. Cultural moments, you want a position statement on it. So one of the things we envision uh, to, is to have a what we teach document. And the what we teach document would have the elder statement of faith, the elder confession of faith. And then it would have a secondary portion with addendums. And the addendums would all be, here's our position on abortion. Here's our position on LGBTQ issues. Here's our position on this. Here's our position on that, right? So that as we encounter cultural moments, like, oh, we've never encountered that before. Uh, we need to address that. That gets tucked into an addendum, right? So it's, a lot of this stuff is more about organization and how we enforce it than it is about, like, we've changed a whole bunch of stuff, if that makes sense. So uh, that's it. And then we'll start going through these, uh, these statements um, next week. So we'll print off the new proposed member statement, and we'll hand it out next week, and we're going to start marching through it paragraph by paragraph. Highlight a few scriptures, although there's a lot for some of those sections, um, but just to see where we're going with all of this. So. If you have questions, we are all open and happy to talk with you about any of this stuff, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us teaching in your word. Um, it's a complex document, O oh Lord God, but we love it. Um, we love that it shows us you, and it shows us Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for this morning um, as we go into the gathering, uh, the weekly gathering. What a blessing. Prepare us to sing your uh, truth, to sing the gospel. Uh, prepare us to hear the gospel preached. Uh, prepare us to fellowship with one another, to show the gospel to one another. Um, Lord, we just ask for these things. We pray that you would bless the morning. We depend on you for absolutely everything, Lord Jesus. We thank you for um, your presence here among us, Holy Spirit, here soon in the gathering. We long for that. In Christ's name, amen.